She said, girl, let me pull over the side of the road. You should not be talking on your cell phone when you're driving. And I told her that I wanted to come to Georgia and lend my support. And she said, that'd be all right. That'd be just fine. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? My fellow Americans, it's time to speak out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their name. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless greed that sums up the spirit of the people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. Their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. Here's why I want to come, Stacey, because I've been reading about you. I've been reading about you in the Atlanta Journal. I've been reading about you in Time Magazine. I've been reading about you in the New York Times. And I've been watching you, and I've been seeing how you handle yourself. I've been watching you in the midst of the onslaught of haters and... And vitriol that's thrown against you. I've been watching you, and you just keep a coming, keep a coming, keep a coming on. You keep a coming on. And 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 not only do you keep a coming on, you keep standing, you keep standing strong for the values that matter to me and the values that matter to Georgians all over this state. today because Stacey Abrams cares about the things that matter. She cares about Medicaid expansion. She cares about keeping families together. She cares about environmental protection for our children so that 
so that they'll have clean water and won't be wearing oxygen masks 10 years from now. She cares about common sense gun control. She does. from the people. This is Georgia. We know people want to hunt in Georgia. But, but, but since when have we lost common sense for common sense? She wants common sense gun control. She cares about affordable housing and she cares about criminal justice reform to protect our communities and creating jobs. So the reason I am a registered independent is because I believe that everybody should have the right to vote their values and vote your conscience regardless of the party. And I tell you, I have voted Republican and I have voted Democrat. And each time I voted, I voted for the people who I felt represented my values. So Stacey Abrams' values are in alignment with the consciousness of which our democracy has been founded. The very foundation of our democracy is to think about other people, to live a life in service to others. Democracy, democracy is not just about our individual rights and concerns and our individual protections, but rather it lives and thrives in making sure that everybody is lifted by the community, that everybody, it lives because the baseline is not just what I want or what I need or what's going to fill my pocketbook, but recognizing that what is good for everybody is good for us. It's good for us. And Stacey Abrams gets that. She gets that. She understands. And she will serve the underserved of the state of Georgia. Because you see, you see, here's the truth. All of us may have been created equal, but if you're woke... If you, woke, if you woke just a little bit, you got sense enough to know that everybody is not treated equally. The reality is this. The reality is we see injustices, big and small, all around us every single day of our lives. And I know it's easy for a lot of people to feel that you have no power against those injustices. But this is what I'm here to tell you. This land was made for you and me. just a song, that's the truth. And, and I will tell you, I will tell you that we are not powerless. Every single one of us, every single one of us has the same power at the polls. And every single one of us has something that if done in numbers too big to tamper with... suppressed and cannot be denied. As our civil rights predecessors used to say, we shall not be moved. So every single one of us has the same power at the polls. We have the ability to go into a tiny booth, or in my neighborhood it's not even a booth, just a little stand, and, 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 and every one of us 
regardless of the color of our skin. It doesn't matter when you're there at the polls. We're the God we pray to. It doesn't matter who we choose to love, whether or not we graduated house, high school or went to college or how much money you have in the bank or whether or not you have a pre-existing condition or whether you're elderly or whether you're not, whether you're developmentally disabled. Doesn't matter at the polls. We are all equal in power. So on November 6th, on November 6th, you all here, you already got it. You got it. So now your job is to go out and let everybody else know how to get it. That you make your voice heard on November 6th. We have this incredible opportunity to make history. We have our inalienable right to vote because the one place where we're all equal, where is it? It's at the polls. And I'm here today because I know you know that. But I just came to remind you of the power. I'm here because I want you to remind others of the power. And I want to make it very clear to all the press, everybody, I'm not here because I'm making some grandstand because I'm thinking about running myself. I don't want to run, okay? I'm not trying to test any waters. I'm here today because of Stacey Abrams. And I'm here today, and I'm here today because of the men and because of the women who were lynched, who were humiliated, who were discriminated against, who were suppressed, who were repressed and oppressed for the right for the equality at the polls. And I want you to know that their blood has seeped into my DNA, and I refuse to let their sacrifices be in vain. I refuse. And I'm here today. Don't let nobody turn you around. sacrifices be in vain. I'm here today because, like a lot of young people, I didn't take voting seriously until around my mid-20s. And around my mid-20s, I had, had, the, had the privilege of hearing Reverend Otis Moss Jr., who's a preacher. Y'all know him? Preacher. Preacher in, 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 in Cleveland, Ohio. And I heard him tell the story of his father of Otis Moss Sr., who right here in Georgia's Troop County got up in the morning and put on his only suit and his best tie. And he walked six miles to the voting poll location he was told to go to in LaGrange. And when he got there, after walking six miles in his good suit and tie, they said, boy, you at the wrong place. You're at the wrong place. You need to go over to Mountville. So he walked another six miles to Mountville. And when he got there, they said, boy, you at the wrong place. You need to go to the Rosemont School. And I picture him walking from dawn to dusk in his suit 
his feet tired, getting to the Rosemont School, and they say, boy, you too late. The polls are closed. And he never had a chance to vote. By the time the next election came around, he had died. So when I go to the polls and I cast my ballot, I cast it for a man I never knew. I cast it for Otis Moss Sr., who walked 18 miles one day just for the chance to vote. And when I go into the polls, I cast the vote for my grandmother, Hattie Mae Lee, who died in 1963 before the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and never had a chance to vote. I vote for her. And when I stand in the polls, I do what Maya Angelou says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. For all those who paved the way that we might have the right to vote. And for anybody here, who has an ancestor who didn't have the right to vote, and you are choosing not to vote wherever you are in this state, in this country, you are dishonoring your family. You are disrespecting and disregarding their legacy, their suffering and their dreams when you don't vote. So honor your legacy, honor your legacy, honor your right to to citizenship in this, which is the greatest country in the world, the greatest country in the world. And the right to vote is like, like, like the crown we all get to wear. Maya used to say, baby, your crown has been paid for, so put it on your head and wear it. So your crown's been paid for. The right to vote is your crown. So this is a tight race here in Georgia. This is tight. And there are tight races all over this country that depend on all of us giving honor to our greatest democratic right and privilege. So let your vote make the difference. Let your vote count. Let your vote speak for you. If you're a woman, let me just talk to the women for a minute. If you're a woman, you need to recognize it hasn't even been 100 years since we even had the right to vote, since we were considered a piece of property. You couldn't even own a piece of property. I love land so much, and I think, boy, if I was born at the, at the turn of the century, 20th century, I wouldn't even have the right to own the land without your father or your husband saying it was so. You didn't have the right to even take care of yourself. So you didn't have a voice, and now we do. We as women people, we as women people need to stand united and vote our values. Vote your values. Vote your conscience. All this noise, all the noise, you just can't get away from it. You turn on the TV, on the way. It's so much noise and crazy talk. All the vitriol in the ads. You know what? They are designed to confuse and confound you with fear. That's what they're done. They're designed to confound you with fear. They are not designed for people with discernment. Women, people, we have discernment. And when you know the right thing, 
and you can feel it. You can feel what is the right thing to do. You can't be influenced by propaganda and fear. So now is the time for discernment. And only when we unite as sisters, and I don't just mean sisters. I mean sisters, black sisters, brown sisters, white sisters, Asian sisters, LGBTQ sisters. When we all unite, I know for sure a change is going to come. So I'm here today to support a change maker. She's a woman who dared believe that she could change the state of Georgia. And she is dynamic. She is so inspired and inspiring. She's bold. She's bold. She's bold. And bodacious. She's a Georgia warrior woman. Ladies and gentlemen, Stacey Abrams. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. for a few minutes and then take a couple questions from you all. Could you have ever imagined that two girls from Mississippi with the kind of upbringing that we've had would be sitting on this stage? Yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I, I'm still not quite certain I believe I'm sitting here. <laughs> I'm having a little bit of an out-of-body experience, but, but, but it's fun. It's awesome. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I love the fact that you had to pull over to the side of the road. Yes. I do love that. <laughs> You know, I am intrigued by your story, as have so many other people been intrigued by your story, but more than intrigued by this idea that you would actually dare to take this on. I have found in my own experience that when something major is happening, there's something inside you that feels like it's a calling. It's more than just, oh, I just want to have a career, or I just want to do that. And I want to know how that manifested inside you, that you knew that for such a time as this, you. you were called to this moment. I am. I was raised by Robert and Carolyn Abram. They are originally from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. <laughs> and they're right here today. Right they're here. sitting right, they're right here. here today. us go and volunteer, which made me a little irritated because I'm like, we're poor too. Why are we volunteering? <laughs> and my mother's way of saying it was having, you know, no matter how little we had, there were more people with less. Your job is to serve that person. Yeah. My dad was more succinct. He was like, having nothing is not an excuse for doing nothing. Wow. But it, it, it instilled in me two things. One, I believe poverty is immoral. 
I think it robs us of our humanity. I think it robs us of opportunity. And I think it's solvable. Uh, but the second piece is that I realized when I was in the legislature that the person who sits in the governor's office decides access to education, to health care, to jobs, that Stand Your Ground was not created by the president. It was created by the governor of Florida. That mass incarceration didn't start in D.C. It started with the governor of California. Ah. That the erosion of the social safety net did not happen in 94. It happened in the early 90s with the governor of Wisconsin. And Jim Crow never had a federal law. It was all states that stopped Otis Moss from being able to cast a vote. And so for me, the calling is that this was the moment. 2018 is our time because we can't wait any longer. Do you think that it, there's, a, there's a basic misunderstanding in our culture about midterms and what the role of state representatives and governors do that causes people to, to, to not to get out? Well, we spend a lot of money. We, billions of dollars are spent telling us who the president is, what the president does. But also for communities that have been vulnerable, it's been federal law that's changed our lives that you know, the equal rights opportunities, the civil rights amendment, if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, often salvation came from the federal government. What we forget is that they were often solving state-created problems. And that if you could engineer the problem at the state level, you can engineer the solution at the state level. Right. We all know this, anybody who runs their own business, whether it's a cupcake shop or whether you're a t teacher, funeral home. <laughs> funeral home. <laughs> we need you. Uh, anybody knows any kind of business you're running that the key to getting anything done is uh, leadership. So how has your, everything that is, because I always believe everything that has happened in your life prepares you for this moment right now. How has everything that's happened to you informed how you will lead this diverse state with all of the communities and all of the people? I, I recently told the story of my first major loss. I applied for a scholarship and everyone said if I was the first black woman to win for Mississippi, I would be a shoe in at the national level. I won in Mississippi, I did not win. I did not win the Rhodes Scholarship, and I mean, that was a lofty prize, but it, it devastated me because I started to think I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't good enough. I decided not to take advantage of certain opportunities. But the more I thought about, the more I realized losing prepares you for success. Because, and, and so standing for this office, being the first black woman to try for this job, it's not a function, I think I'm gonna win, but. But, but. but my point is, leadership is about being willing to take the risk, not knowing if you'll get the reward. Being able to work across the aisle, work with Republicans in the House, I appreciated what you said about being an independent. My job was leading Democrats, but sometimes it meant leading them to work with Republicans they didn't like. Mm -hmm. Because we may have different ways of getting there, 
but I have to believe we fundamentally want the best for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it was about, you know, as a, as a business owner, when you've lost a business, you understand how important access to capital is. Mm-hmm. You, when you go to a bank and they tell you no and they can't give you a good reason, you realize it may not be something that, it may be something that you can't change. I'm, I'm gonna be black until I die. I'm gonna be a woman until I die. And, and so it wasn't, a, it wasn't about changing who I am, it was about figuring out how could I leverage that experience into a solution for others. And so I think you're absolutely right. Leadership comes from taking those mistakes and those failures, but also those barriers that you overcome and turning them into solutions for other people. Do you think that even in these, even in these divisive times, I mean, I was sharing with the audience that I, I was in my hotel room for just 10 minutes and TV was on, and the, the, the vitriol coming from the ads, the attacks, the, the fear-based trying to motivate people out of fear is so bad right now. How, how can you bridge that? How can you make a difference? I spent Sunday evening at Temple Emmanuel in Dunwoody, um, mourning with uh, Jewish families who were connected to the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And as I sat there, the rabbi, who had no reason to include me, brought me up to light one of the candles of mourning mm-hmm. and to share words. And part of getting beyond divisiveness is the willingness to acknowledge difference, but not let those differences change who we are. I, I, am, I am not a different person. I've been running the same campaign. Those have been paying attention. I've been the same person since June 2017. Because... But I've been the same person because you can't ask people to trust who you are or to follow you into hard times if they don't know who they're following. Mm -hmm. And part of getting past divisiveness is being authentically yourself. And people may not like that. And I'm fairly certain half of Georgia is not going to pick me. I just need 50% plus one of them to do so. But my job is going to be to serve all of them. And that's why I went to Forsyth County. Yeah. I, went to, I went to Dade County. But I've also been to pockets of Atlanta that don't believe that anybody sees them either. Because divisiveness is not always based on race or gender or sexual orientation. Sometimes it's based on thinking that the haves don't care about the have-nots. And the way you knit people together is by showing you actually care by showing up. Yeah. And that's the most important piece. You know, as I was saying, that I think that there's nothing that happens in your life that doesn't prepare you for whatever moment you're experiencing at any given time. And, you know, uh, I was wondering how, as you were talking about, you missed, you didn't get the Rhodes Scholarship. And having student loans and student debt, um, first of all, it's amazing we get to live in a country where you can still be paying your student loans and uh, run for governor. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I would like to know, I I think this is actually an important question. What has debt taught you? (laughs) Um, Number one, that you don't have to walk away from your responsibilities. Debt does not mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you aren't responsible. It doesn't mean you're not a good person. Part of what I've had to learn to do is to manage not only my expectations of myself, but also the limits I was putting on myself. Because there are those who told me I could not run because I had debt. 
There were those who told me that because I'm on a payment plan with the IRS, I could not run for governor. And number one, you, you were kind enough to call me bold. They considered it a very bold thing to do, but part of it was, I know how to manage a budget. When you don't have enough and you gotta do a lot, you learn how to manage a budget. <laughs> Number two, I know how to meet my obligations. I don't have to, I've never, no one's had to sue me to get their money back. They will all. But part of that is, that part of what debt teaches you is that other people have needs too. And, and part of your responsibility is that you can't put your needs in front of anyone else's. You might have to line them up side by side and one moves a little faster but that you don't get to sublimate someone else's desires to meet your own. And so, I mean, I've been privileged, and I, I consider it a privilege. I get to help my parents. I get to help my niece. I get to help my grandmother. When my siblings have called on me or when I've had to call on them, we've been able to stand together. And all of us have gone into some debt to do it. But because we've gone in together, we are lifted up together. And I think that's what debt teaches you. I know that you speak a lot about your relationship to faith, and I was wondering, has your faith been tested during this campaign? <laughs> Have you said, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. So my parents are pastors, and they've had to pray for me. Um, sometimes I have to remind myself that um, you don't say certain things when you believe in God. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, look, when, when you know who you are and you know whose you are, it is, it, is, it is hard to have someone tell a lie about you. It is difficult to meet meanness with kindness. It is hard to remind yourself that you have to think about the whole Bible and not just the verses that make you happy in that moment. And so, you know, I, I do, I lean on the teachings. He is. Um, but, but I also, my parents taught me that faith is more than words. It is deed. It is how you behave and not how you behave when it's easy. It's how you behave when it's hard, when no one's watching, when you can do something to your opponent that would move you ahead, but you know it would scar your spirit. That's the moment where faith is truly tested, and I've done my level best to never fail that test. questions from the audience. I don't know who's in charge of that, but hello. You are. Okay. Hi, my name is Melissa and this um, question is for Stacy. I wanted to know what you, um, what your plans are for making sure that our schools finally have resources that they need so that our kids can get a quality education. Our schools are so underfunded and I'm very concerned about it. Thank, Thank you. you. Melissa. Thank you. So in the state of Georgia, in 16 years, the Republicans have managed to fully fund education one time. And conveniently, it was an election year this year. Uh, but here, here's the thing. We have to change our expectations of our leaders. You don't have to raise taxes to raise expectations. What you do have to do is recognize that education, when the state is responsible, it's not responsible for education with a small e. It is responsible for public education. That is our job. And I talk about it from cradle to career, investing in early childhood learning, because you shouldn't go into debt taking care of a two-year-old. 
It's about making sure that parents can afford it, but also that there are opportunities available. And we have some counties where there is no opportunity for, for childcare, uh, where parents are basically going off to shift work, leaving their child with someone that they met a couple of days ago, and they hope things are okay when they get home, but they know if they don't go, then there won't be a home to come back to. Um, but it's also about paying our educators a living wage, a competitive wage. And, and I use educators because I mean our teachers, but I also mean our paraprofessionals, our school bus drivers, our cafeteria workers. You, and then lastly, it's making sure that we understand that a child who comes to school hungry on Monday because they last ate on Friday cannot learn with the best educator. And so we have to have a comprehensive approach to education, wraparound services, where we educate the whole child. And Marietta is actually doing an extraordinary job of that, understanding mental health services for children who, are, who have challenges early that become consequences later, that become a drug addiction because they didn't get the support they needed for mental health disorders like bipolar disorder or on early onset schizophrenia. It's making sure that we fully fund our schools so we educate the whole child and that we make certain that everyone in our school system is treated like the humans and the people that they are so they can be successful. Okay, who's in charge? Anybody? Okay, you got one? Hello. Hi. This question is for my sister Stacy. Okay. It says, um, one of the biggest things I worry about here is health care and Hospitals keep closing in small towns, and doctors and nurses are being moved out. A lot of women die here during childbirth. What can we do to fix this? I'm Sister Robin. Thank you. So let's understand, Georgia has the highest maternal mortality rate in the nation. More women die within a year of giving childbirth in Georgia than any other state because we don't have access to doctors. We have 79 counties that do not have an OBGYN. We have 64 counties without a pediatrician. We have women who give birth, and the first time they see a doctor is at the hospital. And that's assuming they can get there because there are nine counties without a single hospital at all. Um, sorry, there are nine counties without doctors. Not, not hospitals, without doctors. And so Georgia has 159 counties. We have a state-based healthcare finance system which means that until we bring in enough money to provide coverage to everyone, they will not be served. And so if you live in a rural county, if we've lost access to a hospital, that means you could die from a stroke because it takes you more than an hour to get to a doctor. The Republican solution has been nothing. It has been absolutely nothing. Because the problem is you cannot solve a $1.7 billion problem with a $6 million solution. But if we expand Medicaid in the state of Georgia, if we expand Medicaid, we do three things. Number one, we provide access to health insurance for half a million Georgians, including 25,000 veterans and their spouses who are denied access because they are considered too wealthy for regular insurance but too poor for Medicaid. It's about making sure that people, not only in rural communities, but we have working families, people who are working full-time jobs, but they work 39 hours here and 38 hours there, and they don't qualify for benefits, but they're considered too wealthy in Georgia to be covered by health care. 
We can create 56,000 jobs in Georgia. And we can do mental health care and substance abuse treatment in the state of Georgia. Right now, the number one provider of mental health care and substance abuse in Georgia is not our hospitals, it's our prison system. In Georgia, you are more likely to be treated in prison, which means we are incarcerating you for being sick. And once you're incarcerated, you can't get a job, you can't get a housing, and when you get out of jail, you're not entitled to health care in Georgia until we expand Medicaid. And so for us to pay doctors, to reimburse nurses, to create clinics, to save rural hospitals, to make certain that families are actually productive and healthy instead of getting, you know, getting metformin to take care of high blood sugar instead of being on dialysis for 20 years, we have to expand Medicaid in the state of Georgia immediately. thinking about what you will prioritize when elected, like oh. what will be the first things you do? Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> no, number one, Medicaid expansion is number one on my list because, and Sarah Rizamiko is here. She's running for lieutenant governor, and Sarah and I are in lockstep. Sarah, stand up. Um, Sarah is from Cobb County, but Sarah is a business owner who has a company that has grown from 100 employees to 3,500 employees. Every single one has health care. Every single one. She also has daycare. And so what she has been able to do while growing her company is something Georgia can do while growing its state. If we expand Medicaid, we stabilize rural communities, we allow rural communities to get jobs because you know, no one's bringing a company to a place where you can't get a doctor. Right. But you can also stabilize the economies of our communities and half a million Georgians suddenly won't have to worry about missing work because they have a cold or worse, coming to work with that cold so everybody else gets sick. Uh, and then after that, I've got health, I got to work on education. We got to get stuff done on transit. I know Cobb County, you guys have a few issues with transit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I know that the first 100 days sets the tone. But what we can do to stabilize, reorient, and then move the state forward, growing, building on a legacy, and the Republicans haven't been all bad. Governor Deal and I have worked together on criminal justice reform, on transportation, on education on kinship care, grandparents and others raising children. We can build on that legacy, but we have to know that we can't leave anybody else behind, and Georgia's left too many people behind, and that's why we've got to do this immediately and hard. I'm going to change the subject just a little bit. You know I love books, and I was so fascinated when I heard that you'd been writing under a pseudonym. I want to know, what does, is that how you calm down? Is that how you relax? Is that what you, is that your getaway space writing? So I, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here. I wrote it down before so people can tell you I'm telling the truth. When I was in college, I had a list, of, I broke up with this boy and he was really mean to me. So I made a list of all the things I was going to do to prove to him that he made the worst mistake of his life. I, I did mine on Lotus One Two Three. It was a spreadsheet. I had dates. I had accomplishments. I had a timetable. Um, one was to be kind of like you a little bit one day, um, but one was that I was going to be a best-selling novelist. And so, in in law school, 
instead of going to all of my classes, I wrote my first romance novel. I was um, called Rules of Engagement, and then they bought it, and then I started writing more and more. Uh, I moved into leadership sort of memoir books, nonfiction recently, and in between I wrote uh, a book called, I wrote an essay um, on the operational dissonance of the unrelated business income tax exemption. I think my father's the only person outside of my law school who read it. But yes, I, I love writing. Writing makes me happy. My mom was a librarian before she became a, a, before she became a pastor. So before my mom and dad became pastors, my mom was a librarian, and she would, we would sleep in the stacks. So we literally grew up around books. I love reading. I love writing. I love storytelling. And it is. It's cathartic. Plus, I get to kill a lot of people. I write romantic suspense, so I kill a lot of people first. <laughs> And those who survive get to fall in love. So what are, you, what are you doing to sustain yourself? Because this, this is grueling. What do you do? Do you have a favorite TV show? I watch an inordinate amount of television. You do? I do. I, people don't believe it's possible. I, I watch a lot of TV. Um, so right now I'm watching The Good Place. I'm watching Blackish. I'm, I watch uh, Guys Grocery Games on Food, Net, Food Channel. Um, there is this show called Greenleaf. I love that. Uh, I watch reruns of Star Trek Voyager, Leverage. Okay, so I watch a lot of TV. Oh, that, is, that surprises me that you have the time. I don't sleep a lot, so okay. I watch a lot of TV. Okay, so what, what are you going to do November 7th? Hopefully I will be on... <laughs> Hopefully... Hopefully, I will. Yes. I, well, I got to wait till I get into office then. But um, no, I mean, look, I'm hopefully going to spend the morning on morning shows telling everyone how wonderful it was to win this election. Um, and then I'm going to finish a book. Um, my sisters and brothers and I, we have a book club uh, that we do together. So I've got to read the book because I think the next meeting is in November. So I've got to get that done. <laughs> And then I'm going to watch some TV. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? Do you have a favorite book? So I have, I have three. So um, The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead, uh-huh. uh, which is just beautiful, and he loves language. Um, I really love... I love his Underground Railroad. Yes. Most, yeah. um, I love the book The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Harakai Murakami. I don't know that. He's a Japanese writer who writes really sort of fantastical stories. And then my favorite romance novel is Honest Illusions by Nora Roberts. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What's, the last, what's okay. the last meal you cooked? Last meal I cooked, I made myself uh, risotto with um, peppers and sausage and uh, crusted chicken romano. So chicken breasts with uh, Parmesan and Romano cheese. Can I do something? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Please. I'm ready. Miss Winfrey. Yes. (laughs) So you you talked about why you vote and and why you're here. Can you talk about the moment where you were most afraid and how that transformed how you think about the future? easier to answer about a TV show, but okay. 
the moment I was most afraid was when I had ended the Oprah show after 25 years. I made that decision myself and um, was stepping into building a network and I had every media outlet in the world saying I should have kept my day job. And um, I, you know, it's hard not to hear all the negative stuff and not let yourself be impacted by it. And I had a come to Jesus meeting with myself <laughs> outside under my oaks. And you know, that thing where you, where, where you literally pray, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender all and give it to Jesus. And I said, help, you know, please help me see whatever it is I'm supposed to be seeing. And I changed the paradigm of what people were telling me was a struggle and turned it into an opportunity. That's what I was able to do. Yeah, thank you for that. So we know that everybody in this audience is going to vote. Who was already pre-voted? Oh. I bow to you. So, so now everybody in here is going to vote or has pre-voted. What can we do to support you in the next four days? Thank what you. do we need to do? What Thank can you. we do? Volunteer. Volunteer hard. So, so you all are here because you're paying attention, but you all know someone, you all know five people who do not believe that this election matters. And it's not because they're apathetic. I hate when people say that. It's not apathy. It's often that they don't know because no one's ever bothered to tell them how the dots connect. So if you heard something, if you care about education, you need to tell a woman that you know or a man that you know that their special needs child will get a better education under a Governor Abrams who believes in investing in special needs education. But I need every one of you to find five people every single day between now and election day and get them to vote. I need you to call people you don't like Call people you're mad at. Call people you broke up with. I need you to, so number one, I need you to volunteer by calling. I need you to knock doors. We have to knock doors. Oprah Winfrey knocked doors today. So. You should have seen me. I had, I, had, I had my little clipboard, honey. I was knocking on some doors this morning. Yes. And so if you will text the words blue GA to, is it eight, seven, no, nine, seven, 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 nine. So nine, three sevens and a nine. If you will text the word blue GA to that number, nine, seven, seven, nine, we will tell you about all the volunteer opportunities. This is going to be a razor close election and we do not want to run off. That means... That means I need you all to get five people every single day. If you want to do 10 a day, go for that. But we have got to turn out in this election. We will win this. And if you don't believe me, believe my opponent. He said, if every eligible voter in the state of Georgia votes, he will not win. I will win. Yes, we can. And to all those who 
prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you, and nobody, nobody gonna hit as hard as life. Hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone that I what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the history making. In the making. 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 History in history the making. History in the making. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.